very happy new year to you listener and as you would well know by now this is the start of a new decade and cricket being cricket it's given us lots to reflect on and even more to look forward to in the 2020s this is perhaps like no other sport in the world uh, and it takes the whole change is the only constant dictum more seriously than most other sports if the 2000s saw the emergence of t20s the 2010s saw even shorter formats coming to the fore and we even have a 100 ball game to come in the 2020s of course there is boardroom politics a new world order in cricket administration every other year that way it was like any other decade in cricket the list obviously goes on and on i am shrinath shripath and uh, to look at all of that and more i've got with me an all star panel from around espn cricket for first up a familiar voice on the show uh, osman samyuddin in our senior editor hey osman uh, happy new year and welcome back from your holidays much much needed holidays as well they were over a little little bit too soon but you know I'll t- I'll take what I can get. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year indeed and uh, with Osman uh, is Alan Gardner who's back on the show after quite a while I think. First time since the World Cup Alan? Yes, I think that is right. That is a while ago now. Time flies when you're um having fun. Alan's been slacking all this time <laughs> by the way. First time debutant on the show in the new decade in the new year is our stats editor S Rajesh. Welcome on board Rajesh. Thanks Shrinath and a happy new year to all of you and to all the listeners. Good to be here for the first time. Super, absolute pleasure. Osman, uh, you wrote, uh, you had the honor of writing the decade review of sorts for uh, Cricket Info for the website. Uh, my first question to you: uh, It's a very binary one, obviously, no nuance at all. How is cricket in 2020 compared to 2010? Are we in a healthier, or better place, or has it is it still as precarious as it's always been? <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one. Can I can I say yes or no to that? <laughs> Can I just give a yes or no answer? <laughs> yes. Pick eight. All of the above. <laughs> We can end the show. We can end the show here. Yes, all of, all the, of the above. Hi. See you next year. Yes. Um, uh, I, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think there's a lot of things about it that are far better than they were uh, in 2010. Uh, if you like, if you remember, I, I began. the 2010s or this de- in fact i began this decade by covering uh pakistan's test match with australia in sydney so you know things really could only get better from that from that <laughs> low from that historic low anything else after that could only get better but you know that there's a lot of things to like that i think that have you know taken flight this decade uh batting i think batsmanship generally has gone to a different level completely and that's you know more and more because of the white ball format more and more because of the t20s i think t20s themselves have become uh just more interesting and more compelling i know there's more of them so you don't maybe note all of them and you don't remember all of them but certainly the ones when you do get time to watch uh, in some of the better leagues then you notice like this the standard of cricket in a lot of these leagues is pretty phenomenal um and i think you know test cricket we we've gone through another another cycle i guess where where bowlers have kind of held sway um and you know the, the 2000s and uh, we used to complain about you know how many 50 plus batting averages there are and how many runs are being scored and there's no great bowler um and now all of a sudden we've got bowlers who you know who've been doing well this decade so i i i would say that i probably enjoy watching cricket more now uh then i was in 2010 if i can remember back to then i mean I, you know i loved it back then as well but i think i've i've enjoyed it uh probably more this decade um yeah if, if you know as, as short an answer as that can be that's probably my answer yeah i guess i agree with uh, yeah with what osman saying largely 
except that uh, just some of these tests that we are watching now, it's just a difference in standards between some of the top teams and some teams that used to be at the top till very recently, talking mm-hmm. about teams like South Africa, Sri Lanka, some of them going down is uh, sort of impacted test cricket, especially even ODIs. And we really want to see more teams at that level. So, you know, we see much more closer contests than we've been seeing in the kind of the last couple of months have been, we've had results in tests, but not the kind of tests that you generally want to see, I guess. Very few things in sport are as boring or irritating as a one-sided test match because you've got a whole four innings to play and sometimes it used to go on till five days sometimes. But if it's one-sided, it, it's as bad as sport kind of gets in terms of its, you know, how, how boring it can get unless, of course, you're supporting one of the teams. Uh, Alan, uh, uh, I'm just going to circle back to one of the points uh, Osman mentioned about T20s getting more interesting. How is the format kind of changed or its perceptions changed in the country where it originated just like all of the cricket which is England uh, and I'm not asking this because uh, uh, we're talking from India but just because it's the elephant in the room the Indian Premier League of course the IPL is mushroomed into quite a big sort of behemoth over this decade how is the, the, the format's perception in England and the IPL's perception in specific how has T20 cricket changed in the market where it originated? Well, clearly it's not exciting enough anymore because we've developed uh, an, a new format entirely to attract <laughs> uh, new followers to the game from this year. So, um, yeah, everyone else likes it, but uh, it's it's old hat in the UK, it would seem. Uh, I, I think, uh, uh, seriously, it, I mean, it, it has become, is taken much more seriously. It was obviously, it began as a bit of a hit and giggle type thing. Um, and in England in sort of 2003, there were uh, cheerleaders and I know there are still cheerleaders in the IPL, but like um, pools beside the, the pitch and, and kind of people singing at halfway and kind of entertainment for the kids. And it was all kind of supposed to be a bit of a, a fun evening out uh, rather than a, a cricket event and that seems to have completely changed both i mean around the world uh, the, the rise of analytics the rise of kind of um uh, the, the data driven side of recruitment um, team lists and all that if you look at the bbl or the uh, the ipl or, and and the natwest blast uh, or rather the vitality blast i should say um i think yeah it's beca- it's been taken much more seriously as a, a sort of a, um, a sporting endeavor it's not quite as Big, uh, clearly, a money-making uh, uh, operation in the UK. Yeah, although still counties um, do make a lot of their turnover that way. Um, but kind of the IPL dwarfs everything, as you say. And, and even here, obviously, huge interest. You can watch it on TV. It's It's been around a, a two or three different broadcasters, I think. Um, back uh, 10 sort of years ago, it was being shown on sort of ITV4 or something, which is kind of a uh, not quite terrestrial TV channel that you had to uh, seek out. And then it was maybe on YouTube. And, and now it's on, I think it's on BT or Sky. Uh, but it's, you know, it's kind of big, big, uh, a big deal. Um, and obviously the, the money that flows from that into the game has had an effect uh, as well here. And, you know, you look at the England team that won the World Cup and a lot of those players went and, and um, found about found out a lot about their own games playing in the IPL and would, would kind of give credit to that experience. So, yeah, it, T20 is, um, is a, you know, a serious uh, proposition, um, except, yeah, when, when we're playing 100-ball cricket from <laughs> this summer onwards. 
quite ironic that we finally got to 2020 as a year and England is obviously moving on to the 100 <laughs> it's going to take some doing in terms of uh, how that format is perceived uh, around the world because especially because it's starting in only one country and it's the marketing opportunity there <laughs> yeah absolutely something for india to latch on maybe in the future at some point uh, one point uh, alan mentioned gets my attention which i'll throw to you rajesh uh, is the whole data driven aspect uh, obviously uh one thing that we see a lot more on social media which we didn't see probably in the first half of the decade is more and more fans calling out for wrong statistics you just cannot get anything wrong these days do you would you say that uh fans and the sport in general people working in the sport uh have a greater uh, i don't know i i wouldn't say respect but do they feel that there is value there's a lot more value in data today than you know 10 years ago i think the answer generally within the sport is a clear yes but how do you how do you see uh, uh, how fans have taken to it yeah i, I guess there is uh, a sort of more scope for data and also we actually tend to record a lot more data now than we used to say about 10 years back though we still we used to have our ball by ball coverage and all of the line and length stuff even then but uh, obviously with just 120 balls to look at uh, you can get into a lot more sort of granular details and you know stuff like your first five balls or 10 ball strike rates and all of that is so relevant in t20 cricket which wasn't so in in the other forms so obviously there is a lot more of it and just because of the immediacy of the game and how quickly it progresses there's also a lot more sort of people are a lot more engaged like every every minute of the game they want to sort of uh, you know look at new stuff new numbers and all of it is relevant when you are looking at uh, sort of player analysis and the other point is that uh, the sort of conventional numbers that we used to have in cricket with average strike rate stuff don't always make a lot of sense in t20 cricket so then you necessarily need to have uh, you know other data metrics as well which fairly accurately compute what you're looking at so all of that means there is more data uh, except that sometimes the the fear also is that you jump at data only and not you know not not look at the accuracy of it or the validity of it like when t20 first started into a first few years i still used to look at stats like you know bowling averages against or batting averages against off spinners and type of bowlers and stuff and the problem with that i always thought was you know uh, uh, rohit sharma is also an off spinner and uh, ashwin is also an off spinner or lion is also an off spinner so with limited data how do you say that you know averages against off spinners is the sort of holy grail sort of a thing so i always used to contest that you know you need to look at the quality of the bowler and then look at the numbers but now 10 years down the line sort of you have so much data that they generally would make sense so you always need to be sort of careful about you know whether you blindly go with the numbers or just do a little more fine tuning and sort of deep diving that's that's always the danger with the numbers yeah that's true and uh, it, it is kind of a positive aspect a positive outcome of the decade that cricket is kind of catching up with other sports in terms of how uh, data is applied in the analysis etc which is a good sign in general like you said for long we've been living with batting averages and strike rates uh, just want to throw this open to both you uh, alan and osman in the sense that you've been writing about cricket for over a decade the best part of the decade uh, what's the one thing that you write about today uh, what's the one thing that you do today that you didn't do at the start of the 2010s and in general uh, 
have you also started looking at cricket from a lot more analytical perspective and you do you think that's for the better in general for the game and in general for how the way cricket is covered yeah you know i i think uh it, i i think data and analytics has for me at least personally been one of the most amazing things about the game this decade uh it like it, it's almost been learning about the game all over again uh when you start looking at it through a lot of numbers um and I, like i like rajesh's point that you know you there is a danger that you get too deep into it but i i think that you know cricket for so long hasn't done anything really beyond the numbers that i mean cricket has always loved numbers but it kind of stayed static in that whole like you know we we compare batsmen by their batting averages we look at strike rate sometimes but bowling averages batting averages are the things that we look at and it kind of got stuck with that and so when people used to compare it to baseball which also has an obsession with numbers enter superstats yeah it's yeah and it, it kind of just stayed there for a long time i I've, i've really liked it's been one of the things that has actually it's opened my eyes the most about this game and it and it's good because it's kept it from becoming stale uh is that the way you start looking at uh at, at many things and it's not just t20s i mean you know the odis but also in test matches when you start looking at uh at games through different metrics it it becomes a different game um and especially you know covering pakistan for as long as i did and and i was guilty of it as much as anyone there was always a tendency to kind of you know in fact just completely shun the numbers and pretend that you know pakistan weren't this numbers driven team or analytics driven team and that they weren't somehow governed by by data um and and you kind of glorified you know the the random aspects of of pakistan whereas uh sometimes you can actually break down what they do uh better than other sides uh quite easily into in into numbers which make it easier for people to understand you know one of the best things about uh this kind of data revolution has been that you have been able to tell these stories and and we've we've you know we've tried to do that here at cricket info we've tried to tell more and more of these stories uh through these numbers which i think a lot of readers have, have taken on as well the story of pakistan well. cricket in the 21st century in 15 chart yeah exactly so, you know stuff like that which uh, you know it's a way of telling a, a history of pakistani cricket essentially so it's definitely one of the things now that you you cover a match whenever i go to cover a match for example it's you know i i try and it's a, it's a fine line i try not to always use it as a crutch but you you always have to be aware that there are there are there there's data and there are numbers there that are telling you a story that is uh that is an obvious story and that is an inescapable story that you have to kind of touch upon how you do it is up to you and up to your style as a writer but there there are always you i think you have to keep that in mind now whenever you go and cover any match whenever you follow any match even as a fan you have to keep in mind and you have to keep an eye on these things um and i i think like i say i i think it's it's made me learn the game all over again uh over these last few years i mean clearly data has been a huge thing and in terms of the access and and ease of following the game and talking about the game social media uh twitter I mean, the the rise of that over the last decade is you know don't need me to tell you about that but um the way that anyone can kind of uh, go on youtube look up clips there are there are kind of homemade data analysts out there people that mm. use stats guru and it kind of democratized i think um the mm. way the game is covered I, I saw um uh, someone put a link up on uh, uh twitter a couple of days ago um with footage of Lasith Malinga bowling i think in his first um test and this was like, was like when was this this is 2004 mm. and i was thinking how would i have i've never seen it before but how would i have watched it then i don't think i could have watched it then 
almost certainly. I don't think it would have been broadcast here. YouTube, yeah. I don't think existed then. It, it would doubtless would have been hard to dig it up, even if it did. Now you can go on Twitter and see clips from like all over the world at any given point. Um, and you get certainly in the job we do, you know, be it on it, whether we're on commentary or whether we're writing, whether we're kind of on tweeting on social media, you get feedback, plenty of it, some of it, some of it more helpful than others. <laughs> um, and, but you kind of talk about the game, um, with people from all uh, parts of different parts of the world, different perspectives, maybe who've seen things differently to you. Um, I think that has, has changed the way certainly I think and think about and write about cricket. Um, it was sort of, I think, Traditionally, stereotypically, the kind of cliche of the cricket writer, certainly in England, is kind of this person who uh, sits in a bit of an ivory mm. tower and, mm. and kind of uh, makes these um, declarations. I mean, Cardus is, is the great name here, yeah. obviously, and but a, a book in last year that came out, a kind of biography of him, pointed out uh, how much he kind of made things up, basically, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and. And you know, and there's uh, there's definitely some value in kind of having a strong view and and running with it and and being persuasive enough as a writer to kind of bring people along with that view. But equally, um, <laughs> if it's wrong or if it's kind of not based in <laughs> fact, up, yeah. then that's an issue too. Um, so uh, yeah, I think we we have a lot access to a lot more info in, in terms of the data, and we can be a lot more rigorous um on that front but we're also kind of held to account more and, yeah. and we we have to kind of justify and yeah i i was just saying that the best like you know best journalism of any kind not just cricket journalism i think this decade has been the the journalism that has been conversational with its readers rather than writing at uh its readers uh i, I think that's certainly one of the changes that i have seen the most and i've enjoyed the most is that you know like alan was saying i think with with the democratization of the game uh, any journalist who doesn't pay attention more and more to fans' voices, to readers' voices, uh, y- you know, they're making a mistake. If, if you're still sitting in that ivory tower and, and, and thinking that you know best, uh, I think that's wrong. I think I think it's been humbling for many journalists uh, this decade. And I think it's, it's just been a great thing. And it's, uh, you know, readers out there who have access to data and analytics, um, and, and they can tell as good a story as, you know, any journalist really out there. And I think... Because of that, I think journalists have had to, and the best ones have, have had to be more conversational. Uh, and they've had to acknowledge that they are writing, you know, and they're conversing rather than just writing at uh, readers. So I, I think that, for me at least, has been one of the biggest changes over this over this last decade. Hmm. Okay, uh, we move back to proper cricket and the formats itself. Rajesh uh, Shiva from our uh, stats team, one of our colleagues, he wrote like a long essay on how four-day tests might be the future. And we've kind of started off the decade with this huge debate on four-day tests, everybody weighing in, Virat Kohli even saying, where will you stop? Will you stop with saying that test cricket is dead eventually? So he's kind of brought back that whole argument. Uh, what's what's it kind of been like? Like, we don't have four-day tests today, but almost every test ends within four days. That's, that's like a trend, a statistical trend that the administrators seem to have paid heed to, isn't it? Is, is it any more complex than that? Well, if you say every test, uh, if, even if you take numbers from just the last couple of years, we are still looking at about uh, 60% of the tests ending in four days, actually ending in four days. So we still have a fair, fairly large hmm. number of tests that still go into the fifth day. Uh, so whether we want to, you know, just put a hard stop at four is something that uh, we really need to think hard about. 
if you see kind of the number of overs and stuff, you may be able to say that, you know, if you take, say, 95 overs a day and go up to about 380 overs, you would, say, find about, you know, 60-65% matches ending there. But we still need, I would think we still need a sort of buffer for any sort of interruptions that happen. And then, of course, there is the ebb and flow of a match over five days. When it comes down to four, there are several changes it could, I mean, we could even see matches ending earlier because a lot of third innings teams just tend to stretch, sort of taking the lead beyond 500 and stuff. That would not happen if we have four-day tests. So we may see more matches sort of ending in fewer overs. But then there is the other side of the argument about, you know, whether teams, the team that is behind in the first innings, they have a much larger incentive to sort of get defensive and, you know, just try to curb the runs knowing that you may have about two sessions to bat to save the game whether we want that or whether we want sort of that endurance and the ability of players to stick around and, you know, bat long and all of that. So so that's an interesting one. I would still sort of say, old-timer, let's stick to five days for the tests. But I'm sure in this decade, we are going to see four-day tests and fairly soon. I, I don't think I'm... Uh... I'm I'm strongly wedded either way to the idea of test cricket being over five days or four days. I think uh, the one of the most important voices on this is from the player themselves. And I think, you know, the, the few player reactions that we've heard have all said that, no, 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 we need to keep it as five because five is a true test. You know, none of us on this podcast have played the game to a professional level. So, you know, I, I, I'm not certainly placed to know how much of a test more a five-day test is than a four-day test. Uh, but I do think that it, the, 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 the argument to bring in four-day tests comes from a genuine place where there is like a massive crunch on the calendar. Uh, and there are, you know, uh, over however many centuries we've been around, there's, there's only 12 months in a calendar. Um, and we're trying to fit in so much into a calendar. There's test matches, there's ODIs, there's a new maybe Super 4 tournament coming in from next year. There's ICC tournaments, <laughs> there's an extra ICC tournament. Every, every country has a league. Every country wants to have a league. Uh, associate uh, nations want to have a league. And, you know, there's, there's only a finite number of days and there's right now a finite number of players. So where do you go? Uh, and I think, I think the push for four day tests is to, it, it comes from a place where they're trying to find more days in the calendar. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to go around it. Uh, but like I say, I, I'm not like a huge, huge that it has to be. Test cricket has to be five days and neither am I the four days is going to answer everything. I, I, I think I'd like to see some more stats on how tests are playing out. You know, Shiva did that piece. Great piece a while ago. Rajesh is talking about it now about how many tests still end in, in four days. Um, ultimately, over time, you know, the, the rhythms of, of, a, of a test match could change so that everyone is playing four day matches. I mean, I think, you know, county cricket has switched between three and four days over, over decades. Yeah. Previous. Uh, and, um, until I think the early nineties, it was three days. Uh, yeah. and then they moved up to four days. I mean, test cricket has been yeah, timeless. Yeah. It's been four five, days, six it's days, been four, four, days, been four well. days before. Yeah. And we do have four day tests now. We've had a couple yes. of them. Yeah. Uh, England played one, uh, South yeah. Africa, South Africa played, played one, one with Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, I, my, my feeling on, on this is that we shouldn't rule anything out. Um, and there is going to be a place for four-day tests. I'm not sure mandating it for the World Test Championship is a good idea, particularly uh-huh. given that there seem to be lots of issues with the World Test Championship as a format. Anyway, anyway it's imperfect, yeah. let's say. Enough in- inequities in the system. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of well-intentioned, but it it's going to perhaps take a few additions, iterations yeah. to kind of get it right. I think <laughs> bolting on kind of the four-day thing as well, 
Um, I, I'm not sure that would um, be a, a good move. But I think there is a place for it. One of the debates from the other side has been about how this whole debate with the, the teams themselves who can have the debate itself is like a first world problem of sorts in cricket with smaller nations. We've seen Ireland towards the end of the decade of uh, suffering, not able to host tests themselves. Guys from South Africa, there was a Keshav Maharaj quote, uh, which, which got shared on Twitter about how, you know, I just want to play tests. I don't care whether it's four day or five day. So this whole thing of playing tests itself being a privilege that a lot of cricketers who don't play other formats, the, the minority that exists today, it, it it seems kind of inevitable that cricket uh, graduates to it, which which gives me an opportunity, Osman, to segue nicely into the whole administrative uh, bit of it. Uh, <laughs> I know readers and listeners will not want to hear 20 minutes of it, but just a quick one in terms of the early part of the decade saw the whole big three breakup between India, England, Australia, and things kind of seem to have settled down towards the middle of it with Shashank Manohar taking over the ICC and so on. Are we back uh, at the start of the 2020s? To a situation which is kind of near what it was during the Big Three era, or is it is it a much better place now in terms of the administrative table at the ICC? Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's certain things that are better, like the the ICC board itself uh, has you know independent directors on it. It has a female director on it. Uh, it it's no longer as easy for one strong board to push through a vote uh, simply because you know there are there are people there with with no stake in a bilateral game against India on that board. So you can't buy them off uh, with the prospect of a five-match ODI series in the middle of nowhere when nobody cares. Mm. Um, so, you know, in that way, it's, that safeguard is there. Uh, but I think situation is building up now that the BCCI has uh, proper administration back in place. It has clarity in at least how it's run. You know, there's no kind of pitched battle between the COA and, and, and the officials of the, of the old-time administration or whatever. Uh, now that the BCCI is is won again, uh, I think they're going to angle. Uh, I think the biggest battle again, you know, and it might not be the exact same thing as a big three, but there will be elements of it. Is is again the ICC wants to have an extra tournament because you know there are there are members out there who only now make money off uh, ICC events, and so they, another ICC event for them means more money. But there are three teams three boards out there who make money from bilateral cricket. That's, you know, India, Australia, and England. And and they want to have more bilateral cricket, uh, which is why they've come up with this plan. So, you know, I, I think there was a rollback uh, of a lot of the things that the big three uh, originally wanted. But in essence, I think that spirit is still there. As in, I don't think there is a serious interest in uh, among administrators to grow the game uh, beyond the countries that play it. Uh, I, I don't. Th- I, I think they pay lip service to that completely. Um, I think there is not a huge amount of interest in among the big three boards to play cricket that is not profitable to them. Uh, so that's essentially outside of the three who play, which would be England, Australia, and India. You know, I think that will still be there. I think the fact that Saurav Ganguly wants that Super Series uh, in in such a big way is you know is is the clearest example of that. You know, the BCCI want more money from the ICC anyway. So we are building up to a situation again where there will be tension uh, and, and that will stay. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping that it doesn't get as bad as it did in 2014 when the big three happened. And, you know, they wanted a lot more than just more money. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? I mean, cricket, uh, the one thing we've learned about cricket administration is that it is just not a stable, permanent thing. You know, it changes. It goes back on itself. It U-turns. Uh, it it it's likes to stay in this old fashioned kind of thing, you know, and, and not think big. Um, and and these are all things that you know, 
affect the running of the game. So, uh, who knows what we've got coming up, uh, but there will be tensions for sure, especially now with, you know, all these leagues as well. There, there is going to be a lot more tension this, this decade. Uh, and I, I feel like something, something in this decade will break. Something very essential and intrinsic to the game will break because of the many pressures that are on cricket from, from everywhere. Mm, that's, that's quite cricket to start off a decade now. It's very typical of <laughs> the game. <laughs> There's always that. Let's big... dying. Let's yeah. dying. Something's gonna, something's gonna die basically. Yeah. Something will die. Something will die is a good prediction. You can never go wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> Rajesh, <laughs> Rajesh, it's time to bring you in on this. Uh, just a really quick question. I think you mentioned uh, earlier about uh, the, the sort of mid-tier of test teams getting weaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are the equities of the equal distribution of strength across formats? Is is ODI and T20 cricket, probably T20 cricket at its strongest with an expanded pool of teams, all games getting T20i status? Has, will that change anything or uh, uh, or, is, or is test cricket uh, going through a phase where some teams are weaker and they'll get back on track? Well, currently, like Osman was saying, even with the big three coming in and uh, you know increasingly more matches among them, it does tend to suggest that, uh, you know, the stronger teams will get stronger. And uh, particularly in South Africa's case, uh, they have slid quite a bit over the last, you know, five, seven years from where they were at the beginning of the decade to where, where they are now. Um, it's, it's a tough one, really, to, uh, I mean, of course, teams can come back, but I mean, that, that's my fear about uh, sort of the next, next 10 years that do we, do we have enough teams sort of at the top tier, you know, to challenge the top three to challenge teams like uh, Australia, India? I, I hope there is, but my fear is that we may have, we may see a, a sort of system where you have two or three really strong teams and the rest, and then we have a second tier and then a third tier. It, it sort of seems to be going that way. It kind of feels like that, especially with teams like South Africa and the whole coal pack thing intensifying due to even, various even external Lanka, situations. Yeah. Even with Sri Lanka, yeah. not in the healthiest shape right now. And like one thing that Osman says, kind of Osman said, kind of uh, brings or, or strikes a chord with me, which is the fact that ICC events kind of tend to get taken a lot more seriously among the smaller nations because they do make a lot more uh, money and audiences out of. Those, so that also remains a fact for the smaller sides. Uh, just going a little deeper into players, especially what kind of players thrive in what formats, that's something that is quite interesting because there is this whole breed of test cricketer who doesn't play any other format. You're thinking of a guy like a Chiteshwar Pujara from India, there's a BJ Watling or a Neil Wagner type from New Zealand. Uh, obviously there's examples from all around the world. Uh, uh, Alan, uh, just uh, in terms of England, because it's the country where a lot of these specialists tend to thrive. There's a whole different ODI team compared to the Test team. There are very few commonalities. Sure, there's a Ben Stokes and uh, there's a Johnny Besto sometimes, but those the setup and the structure of squads is is totally totally different. And and uh, I think Osman, uh, you would appreciate that there's some commonality there with Pakistan as well in terms of the players who play. And Asad Shafiq doesn't play in uh, an ODI format. 
uh, we did dig through some data and there's like there's no commonality around the world in terms of specialists uh, in ODIs there, there used to be a lot more specialists earlier how do you see that trend shaping up uh, do, you, do you think we'll see a lot more T20 specialists Alan? I almost feel that there might be more first class specialists um, and then and then white ball players uh, sort of form their own category although arguably kind of what what you might see from this decade um, is T20 becoming a different game altogether um T20 being considered a, a game, a sport in and of itself, as in not cricket, mm. because of the, um, you know, once you really break it down, it really does demand a lot of different skills. Um, I think there is still some overlap in the way sort of um, ODIs are played mm. and, and the kind of the need to have a, a, a solid defence at times, you know, that you learn, you know, you learn the basics of the game in first class cricket, or at least that was kind of the, the traditional thinking. Um, there are now, I guess, players that just c- come through as T20 specimens. Um, and, and if they can earn enough money that way, then, I mean, someone like Chris Green has, uh, barely played any first class cricket, I think. Not um, in cricket on any, in any format. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, maybe he would like to, but if he's, if it's a, 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 a lucrative or a viable career to just be a T20 player, then I guess that is, uh, that could be a, a kind of a future career path. Um, as for first class cricket, I, th- I mean, I, I tend to still think that is kind of the basis for a lot of what we, um, love about cricket and kind of where the game is developed. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to learn those skills if you're not grooving them and, you know, bowling a lot of balls or facing a lot of balls. Um, but it is precarious. There's a lot of breadline cricket, I guess, going on around the world, talking about kind of the, the, the schedule being crowded and mm. stuff. There aren't that many really money-spinning series, except that ones uh, where India are involved. But, uh, you know, obviously, it, it, the Ashes is, is an exception as well. Um, but uh, so, yeah, w- what's sustainable? Um, I, I don't know. It's uh, it, That is a, <laughs> almost a great imponderable. Um, but I do think that, um, I mean, in England, like someone like Dom Sibley, who's just come into the test team, is not just a test mm-hmm. specialist. He plays T20 as well. Um, I think, all, you know, all players kind of want to do everything, mm. but it, that's becoming harder and harder. Someone like Joe Root, who's probably one of the most talented cricketers on the planet, is finding it hard to play T20 or, or like fit that into his schedule. He's a, he's a, Good test player, a great test player, maybe a, a good or great one day player, but, but T20 is a different game again. And that is, that is increasingly tricky. And if, you know, 100 ball cricket takes off as well, that's a fourth format. So that just compounds the problem. I think, you know, it's, it's funny. We look back on around 2009. So the start of the decade. I, I think that was the time when Chris Gale turned up. To England just a few days before yeah. the test match was supposed to start and said, there was I don't care if test cricket dies I don't care if test cricket dies he said in fact and you know <laughs> it, at that time if you had looked at it and, and I, I do remember thinking that there was a lot of there was reaction and there was overreaction about what he had said and there was a lot of fear that you know a lot more players will not be a lot of players will give up test cricket a lot of players will move away from the game they'll become specialists and I don't think I, I mean you know I'm sure we can look into some numbers on this but I don't think that that kind of specialization has happened in the last decade as much as we feared it would at the start of the decade. I mean, if you look at, it's a very easy kind of comparison to make, but if you look at the top four batsmen that we have right now in, in, you know, in the world, we have somebody like Virat Kohli, we have Kane Williamson, 
we have Smith, Steve Smith. Um, I would, you know, personally throw in Baba. Babar Azam there. <laughs> um, these are all guys who play across all formats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, and they're good because they're good across all formats. People consider them that good because they're good across all formats. Uh, yeah, you have like young talent come out, you know, in England today, Tom Banton at the BBL has hit what, five sixes in a row or something. Mm-hmm. And he's a generational a, talent. But I would not be surprised if maybe two years down the line, England still looking for like, I don't know, some top order batsman for their test side. Somebody thinks, and Ed Smith would <laughs> very much qualify as that radical somebody mm. who says, Hey, why don't we give Banton a go in, in test cricket? And you know, he might, he might give it a go. Um, so I, I don't think Joss Butler is in the test side. Joss Butler is the in the test side as we speak on the basis of his form in, in T20s, essentially. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd hesitate to say that this might be the decade we now see more and more specialization only because we kind of thought that in the last decade, and I don't think it's happened to the extent it has happened, but I don't think it's happened to the extent that we thought it might happen. By the way, have you just sense. officially promoted Baba to the Fab Four and relegated Root from it? it he, yeah. he, he didn't need a recommendation <laughs> for me to get in there. He's already been in there if you've been watching him this year. This is official. This is now official. Premature. <laughs> I'd have a slightly different view on that. I, I you know, I, I think the great players would uh, probably fit in in all formats. I mean, ABD being the prime example. But yeah. if you're looking at the skill sets uh, for T20 compared to other formats, I mean, they are just so completely different in terms of, and increasingly sort of teams and even analysts are realizing that even someone like uh, a Kohli or a Root that Alan pointed out, just sort of even batting five balls without maximizing the runs leads to you know, the team totals not being optimized. Yeah, so yeah. you're looking at almost every player doing that 10 ball thing or 15 ball thing and getting out. Uh, so I think increasingly you would want to find those sort of players. And that skill set is completely different from what you need at the test level. Similarly for bowlers, sort of bowling six different balls in an over versus sort of bowling 20 balls at the same spot. Does does I guess my question is, does cricket have like the infrastructure where it is producing only those kind of players? Or are the majority of players That's my who come fear. to cricket come still yeah. from a fairly yeah. traditional playing first-class cricket, playing age group cricket over two days? Do they still come from that background? I guess that's the only thing I, I wonder is whether we but are... That producing, change. Uh, yeah. Will that change right. the cricket maybe? But... Right, but that's been happening in the previous generation. But sort of as we go along over the next sort of eight, ten years, mm. maybe the focus even at that level would be to you know generate specialists for different yeah, formats. Yeah, the, the problem again is with the money, and you know how how do you ensure that guys who only play first class or the longer form get sort of paid enough and appreciated enough to want to maintain that? Because you know, I mean, what's the incentive otherwise to continue playing four days or five days if? You know, you know, someone else makes a lot more money playing just 20 over cricket. I mean, that's, that's the sort of uh, mm. ecosystem that cricket needs to, you know, mm. find for itself. And uh, that, that's a tough one. Yeah, but in yeah. terms of skill sets, I think they are just so totally different that going forward, I think even the teams and analysts would want Specialists. That's actually the ecosystem outside of the big three, right? Because in yep. India, Australia, and England, you can make enough money playing Test cricket. But it, 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 in places yes, like yes, Pakistan, that's outside Africa, the outside the where, big three. Yeah, and West Indies, where you don't get enough. It's very hard for a Dean Elgar or a Keshav Maharaj to yeah, resist exactly. becoming a coal pack, yeah. right? Unless there's this whole. I mean, s- some of them have 
uh, enough backing uh, for good reason from the whole uh, from the whole quota system yeah. that is there. But a lot of these cricketers like Duan Olivier, for example, there's very little incentive for him to stick around. And what he said is absolutely right. That's right. Brexit uh, might absolutely. end the coal pack route from 2020 onwards. It's so, you know, they help solve a small part of the problem. <laughs> Mm, not, not sure who that's good news for. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've, we've chatted about quite a bit. The one other big theme from the 2010s, uh, again, uh, let's start with you, Alan, is the whole women's game and how it has changed. Uh, just just for us at Wicked 4, mm-hmm. we tend to follow the women's game a lot closer, I would suspect, compared to what we did. Uh, Osman, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, compared to the 2010s. There is, there is, there is a lot more coverage, ball by ball commentary, etc. Uh, in markets like England, we know that in India, it is quite a bigger, quite much bigger deal today, thanks to, thanks in part to Harman Preet's innings in the 2017 World Cup. So, uh, those things are there. Uh, how has the women's game, uh, Changed, especially in the second half of the decade. Uh, we know that there are professional contracts for women's cricketers in Australia and England seem to have kind of followed suit for the first five years of this new decade. Is it fair to say uh, that women's game has gotten a massive shot in the arm in the last three years or or, or are we kind of looking at it with rose-tinted glasses? Uh, yeah, no, I think it has come on a lot and then it's equally fair to say there's a lot more that could still be done. Um, in terms of the bigger teams or you know more established teams like England Australia and, and India where that professionalization professionalism has come in at the top level that is clearly a step in the right direction what has probably not happened um, certainly everywhere at the same speed and the same level of development is kind of building a bigger playing base so you know you've got that uh, increased level of interest say in, in the England team or the the Kia Super League, uh, which won't be happening from this summer because of the 100, but anyway, uh, or, or the WBBL. Um, th- that <clears> is <throat> that is um, a, a good thing uh, um, and, and obviously a marked um, uh, sign of progress. Uh, but below that, there aren't, the structures are not in place or they're, or they're weaker. Um, there's a big shift to kind of try and... Uh, renovate or uh, uh, rejig that in uh, England where the sort of women's teams have been tacked on to counties but um, very much as sort of uh, afterthoughts or secondary concerns um, how do you how do you make sure you're kind of getting younger girls interested giving them opportunities is there the money there to do it um, you know you're paying a few top level uh, women's cricketers uh, they've got contracts with the ECB but is there a, uh, a viable career to be had uh, the next level down? If you're kind of a, you know a female county player or club player, c- can you look at a route there where you know if, if you get if you make it great? If you're the next Sarah Taylor or Anya Shrubsole or whatever, then great. There is a uh, a good living to be made. But if you're just one rung below, you're going to have to kind of work a second job or, or give up study or, or, or whatever. Um, so I think that that is the next big thing for the women's game in uh, certainly yeah, England. Australia is much better placed, I think. They have a bigger playing pool and they have mm. more money at that level of the game. Uh, and that's certainly the, the the route the ECB are sort of going down. Um, there's clearly interest there. There's 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 been a, an, an up kick in um, attendances and viewing figures and people following, yeah, on, on Crick Info, following the Women's World Cup, following the Women's World T20. There's a World 
T20 World Cup rather starting in a, in a few weeks' time. And uh, I think a goal of making kind of the final on International Women's Day one of the most watched women's sporting events ever. So, you know, these are all good things. It's all positive steps for um, the women's game. Uh, but, yeah, there's still plenty more to do, I would say, but in terms of changing attitudes as well, but uh, mm. fixing infrastructure and, and kind of redistributing money but or finding funding because it will come you know cricket is game mm-hmm. uh, um, at bottom as we've been discussing in terms of the international uh, stru- uh, uh, format so um, yeah there more more to be done uh, for sure uh, looking at a relatively more conservative market if i can say that like asia uh, Osman, uh, how would you rate it in, in, in a region like this? I mean, uh, India is, of course, trying to make strides with the IPL, but there are complaints about the depth of the domestic system, etc. Here, there's the whole debate about what's stopping India from starting a women's IPL. And the one clear answer seems to be outside the elite. We don't really have as many players to run a league that is respected around the world as they do in Australia, maybe even England. Uh, how do you how do you kind of look at women's the women's game in in a, a market like South Asia, the subcontinent? Uh... Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's 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 difficult in the sense that it, there has been a lot of progress. Like if you look at women's cricket in Pakistan now, compared to what it was in 2010, it's it's a different world. You know, players. It's a very small pool of, uh, pool of players still, but they have they have some semblance of professionalization. You know, they have contracts, they have central contracts. Um, it's, it's a smaller pool again, but you know, it, it's something is there. Uh, in, in somewhere like India, it's a little bit bigger. In Bangladesh, maybe not so much. It's, I, I think there has been progress, but it's such a, I think for it to really grow to a level, uh, where you can have like a, like an IPL, uh, for women's, I think, uh, you, you need to expand that player pool. And I think to expand that player pool, you need a lot of infrastructural changes, which, Certainly, I speak for Pakistan, uh, where, you know, I think that it, it cannot come unless there is bigger societal change about uh, about how mm. women are seen in society and their roles yeah. in society. I think maybe it applies to a degree in, 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 in India as well. But certainly in Pakistan, you know, it's it's still a big deal for a female to be playing cricket and then for a female to start wanting to play it professionally uh, or to pursue it. And to be in a position where, you know, she can say to her family that, listen, I'm going to start playing cricket. I might not be earning money initially, uh, but uh, I hope you've got my back. Uh, you know, for, for all those things, mm-hmm. for all those things to happen, you're, you're cutting down the field to who can play so much. For, for all that to happen, you're cutting down the field so much of who can play and who has access to the game and stuff. You know, my, I, I used my niece's example in, in, uh, in, in that piece that I wrote on the decade. Uh, she got into it, but that's, you know, mm. that's, that's because one, her, her mother and the family around her are open to her playing cricket. And two, she had access to something, although she plays for an all boys club. You know, there isn't an all girls club there. So that, mm. you know, and, and again, our, our family is yeah. okay with that. So it, you know, it's okay, but there are a lot of, uh, a lot of parents who would not be okay with that. And these are kind of societal problems, which I think, you know, yeah. you can't grow the game that much until those issues 
also change i feel one big sort of what if moment which some of us in india keep pondering is is the whole 1983 moment in indian cricket if 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 india had won mm. the women's world cup in 2017 would we have seen more revolutionary yeah. changes something like that i mean that's the sort of thing that changes the whole culture and the society sometimes and you you kind of need that whole moment to spur generations on uh, we've we've kind of done 45 50 minutes of a podcast and we've obviously not even uh, hit the tip of the iceberg if i may say so there's there's so much more to talk about there's the whole rise of afghanistan through this decade which is pretty much probably the story of the decade from from a cricket point of view so what i'm going to do is run through uh, each one of you and ask uh, ask you about to, to to pick your sort of uh, the the best thing about cricket in the 2010s according to you uh, and one thing on your wish list for the 2020s uh, rajesh uh, will start with you uh, it it could it could even be uh, anything uh, anything stats heavy that you think people should know so it can be anything else as well <laughs> okay the the best thing i'll just uh, just looking at some stuff from the last two years i think the revival of fast bowling in the last two years i was looking at some numbers uh, they average about 25 26 runs per wicket in the last couple of years which is the best since 1982 so we go back about 38 years so i think just the revival of fast bowling because a lot of the last few years that especially i've seen cricket in the 2000s has been largely about you know medium pace or fast medium mm. but to see them come back like this it's it, it's quite a refreshing change and i hope it continues through at least most of this decade yeah that's your wish list as well, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that will be my wish list as well yeah maybe a couple of things one of the best things about this decade now i think is at the end of it is that cricket has returned back to pakistan in some in some way i think you know a, a whole decade without the game i i i was never worried that it would die there but you know certainly your relationship with it would change and mm. so it was really good to see uh test cricket and odi cricket and t20 cricket uh not not odi so much but yeah in fact all three formats now back in pakistan and hopefully you know fingers crossed things stay well enough there for this to continue and for people to start you know traveling to pakistan and the other thing the the bigger thing i think what what we discussed earlier i personally really feel that the the, the entry of a kind of analytics into the game uh to me and i think to many people out there it has completely it's changed the way you watch the game now you know it's it's changed the way you you read a game you watch a game uh, and different things you look out for i i think it's really it's been one of the the biggest things for me this decade is how it's just made the game fresh for me um uh completely oh and i'm i'm supposed to have a wish list for the next decade i uh, i would want the, the only thing i would really want is some rationalization of the calendar i second that entirely osman <laughs> i i think what what i really would like is just some kind of i'm not necessarily saying kill one format do this do that i'm just i i just want there for the cricket calendar every year from jan to december to read like something that i can expect and tune into uh, uh you know every month of the year i know what's coming and i know what to expect uh and that there's not like a india sri lanka or a pakistan sri lanka series just thrown in randomly when nobody was looking um it would be really good for there to be a and, and like a new league comes up from namibia a t20 league in which you know some other dodgy investors are involved so i i would really like for there to be a, a rationalization of the calendar um over the next decade i am thankful uh, that in the last uh, 10 <laughs> years by being in the last 5 years england um discovered one day international <laughs> uh, and uh, 
finally started playing that form of the game. Only about uh, 50 years too late. <laughs> or at least started paying it uh, the attention it was due for the first time since the sort of uh, 70s, 80s and early 90s. Um, I mean, that has been seriously the, the kind of rise of um, England's white ball teams and, and kind of um, treating that format with the respect it was due, some of the players that have come through and culminating in, in the World Cup last uh, summer. I think probably 10 years ago, uh, nine years ago, the, the World Cup, which obviously India won, I'd have been at around that time thinking, well, if there's one format that's going to go, it's, it's probably 50 over cricket. <laughs> it's, you know, the boring middle overs and all that. And there have been so many uh, changes and, and <clears throat> tinkering to the kind of the format. Um, which has ensured that that is nowhere uh, near um, being scrapped as yet. Um, albeit that, it, yeah, as we say, next summer in England, the 100-ball cricket will come in and 50-over cricket will be kind of relegated to um, secondary status. But, um, yeah, world champions, woo! Um, so that that has been a lot of fun to watch. And win it outright. <laughs> and a great final. I think we all agree that cricket was the winner and England yeah. took the World Cup home at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> That's the best way of putting it. it um, there were no losers. Certainly, yes. certainly not New Zealand. Um, and something to hope for, I I would, uh, yeah, like Oz, hope the calendar can get sorted out. I would hope that kind of there is a realisation that growing the game is important mm. in other parts of the world, and other territories beyond uh, India, England and Australia. Um, there are there are so many other um, uh, competing sports uh, uh, sports and uh, things that uh, compete for our attention, uh, entertainment forms that um, I don't think cricket can kind of just be happy that, you know, there are three countries where it is uh, very popular yeah. and it, it is thriving. Um, so, you know, to see, say, Afghanistan, one of the stories of the decade, that's absolutely true. Uh, they are a great story. They're producing some great players. They are great to watch. Um, for, for Ireland to become a test nation uh, for, you know, Netherlands, Papua New Guinea to, to, to make strides um, as a as one day nations, um, I would like to see talking about World Cups again. Going back to giving more opportunities there, yeah. um, the round robin was okay <laughs> last year. Uh, the, the rain nearly killed some of the interest in it, and then England's kind of um, slight fallibility revived it. Pakistan being Pakistan, yeah. but I would prefer to see the the World Cup format be more like the football World Cup format, where yeah. you have like four groups of four, and you know two go through and two go out and if that's England and India in the first round then so be it um, that would be I think far more uh, entertaining and interesting to, to watch um, but you can only do that if you kind of you're growing the game and, and producing countries uh, that are strong enough to play at that level so hopefully um, that's realised uh, Alan you've, you've pretty much made uh, all the points that I had in mind the, the only other thing that uh, struck me is if we end the 2020s with as many strong cricketing nations as we kind of did at the start of, or even the middle of the 2010s, we'd, we'd have done really well if we have a strong South Africa or a Sri Lanka, like Rajesh said, and no nation goes the way of a Zimbabwe, the way they've gone this decade, uh, I think we'd have done well from a practical point of view. Growing the game, of course, remains a fairly utopian construct in cricket because we've just had, for example, a really good, really competitive T20 World Cup qualifiers, and guess what? We're going to have that scrap next year by the looks of it. So if we tinker less and we kind of stick with things that have worked well, I think cricket would have done really well at the 2020s, by the end of the 2020s. 
And uh, that's pretty much about all we have time for on this episode of Stump Mike, uh, the start of a new decade. Uh, thank you, Rajesh. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your debut. Oh, it was great. I had lots of fun. Hope I come back. We'll have you on again for a decade now, Rajesh. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for it. <laughs> Pleasure as always, Usman and Alan. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's do it all again in 10 years. Yeah. Super. We'll do it all again in 10 years. Alan, now we'll let you head back to comms for uh, the England-South Africa game. <laughs> and uh, thanks to you, listener, as always, for your company. Look forward to having you on uh, really soon. Remember to leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. It helps or it has helped more and more people find the podcast. Until next time then, from all of us at ESPN Cricket Info, it's uh, goodbye. Take care.